Hello and welcome to Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, brought to you by the North Jersey Vipers Softball Club. Now in its 14th season, winter workouts are underway. Spring is right around the corner. Get in touch with my man, Bob Germano, owner and manager of the North Jersey Vipers Softball Club. Check them out at NorthJerseyVipers.com. Well, we have three weeks remaining in the college basketball regular season. UConn has shown it's their world and everyone else is just paying rent right now in Stores, Connecticut, the center of college basketball. And then at the opposite end, it's St. John's. Yet another second half collapse in what has been a series of Groundhog Day collapses. But let's face it. This was the worst of the bunch against Seton Hall, blowing a 19-point first-half lead. And afterward, afterward, Rick Patino is pointing fingers at everyone but himself. Here to talk about UConn, St. John's, Seton Hall's surprising season is one of the very best in the business. A friend of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, ESPN's Seth Greenberg, coach, Thanks for coming on. Great to talk to you once again. My pleasure. How are you doing? You guys must be doing pretty well. Seton Hall is back. overachieving, Coach. Why don't we start there? How much have they surprised you by what they're doing, considering their NIL budget is one of the worst in the conference? Yeah, NIL has nothing to do with how hard guys play. Uh, and if, if guys really care about competing and winning and playing for the right reasons and playing to win, and that's what Shaheen's been able to build. Uh, he's been able to build it with hard playing, tough city that guys that are, you know, draw a line in the sand, have a little chip on their shoulder. And when Kadari Richmond's right, they were a different team. They're one of the best back defensive, best two-way backcourts in all of college basketball. They didn't even close. Their ability to disrupt you defensively, the ability to distort you and get you out of anything you're trying to run, their ability to beat you off the bounce, get in the lane and make plays, put you in rotation, which gives you a chance to get to the offensive glass. Uh, they're just disruptive defensively. And uh, a lot has to do with, you know, you see the difference with and without Kadari, as long as he's bought in and being a good teammate, buying into what they're doing, uh, that backcourt is really, really hard to deal with. Nationally, did he take a little bit of a hit when when he took those two games off and, and they didn't disclose any type of injury? I don't know if he took a hit. I think people are wondering why. Was it an injury? Was was it something he did in practice? Was it behavior off the court? Was it an academic issue? Uh, you know, I think those were the bigger questions. And I think the most glaring thing was that you could see his value for, to the team. I mean, good players, hard playing dudes, but uh, you know, he's the guy that makes it easy for everyone. He's a triple double waiting to happen. You can't keep him out of the lane. If you keep Madeleine, there were kickouts, you know, obviously to Alamir and, and Wusu that could make plays. Those three guys together are disruptive. Yeah, and and throw Dre Davis in there, who's the ultimate yes. guy. He, he's a guy, coach, that, that sprains his ankle uh, on the wet floor against the Xavier game, doesn't play the second half of that, doesn't practice Thursday, uh, Friday, Saturday, and comes back on Sunday and gives them 34 heroic minutes uh what can you say about his mental fortitude and what he yeah he's just got a toughness about him but i think that's what you know Shaheen breeds in their players i mean like, you know this is who we are this is how we win this is what we're going to do we're going to oppose our toughness our identity on the game we're going to make people uncomfortable 
We're going to make people play at a speed they don't want to play. We're going to make people handle the ball that don't want to handle the basketball. And, you know, Dre, he's, he's a perfect example of the type of player that's been really good for coach. What type of position have they put themselves in? Talking about the game against St. John's, I mean, it seemed like they were a no-show for the first 16 minutes. They dig themselves a 19-point hole, and then lo and behold, they chip it to 12. Uh, key point in that game was the technical foul by Shaheen Holloway. You know, he's fighting for Kaderi Richmond. It was a questionable block charge, and he's fired up about it. And that singular technical seemed to fire up his team and from that point on, I think Seton Hall outscores them by seven, outscores them by uh, 18 in the second half and um, wins by six. Have you what did, what did you think about what happened there and how it completely? Yeah, I didn't break down that game yet. Uh, of course, honestly, I was working on uh, Houston and Iowa State and Virginia today and uh, watching Washington State, a team I just wanted to learn more about because they're playing so well. But what it reflects to me is that. You know, it's it's kind of a, an interesting philosophy. If players know you're fighting for them, they'll fight for you. It's it's really that plain and simple. If players know you're in it with them, they're going to be in it with you. If players know you're going to stand beside them, not behind them, because behind them doesn't do anything. Beside them and are in it with them, they're going to do it for you. They're, they're going to do it with you. And that that's what that was all about. Look, you look you look at Seton Hall. They had those three losses in a row. They were all to all good teams. They had the UConn win, which is obviously a really good win. It, this time of the year, it's real simple. No bad losses, good, all good wins. That's really what it comes down to. You can't have a bad loss. I'm looking at their schedule now. I wanted to look it up. And, you know, they got opportunities. You can't lose to Nepal. They uh, they understand that. You got Connecticut on the road. You got Villanova, you know, at home. That's a great opportunity. You got Creighton away. You know, if you can win, you got Butler at home. If you win, like, you know, if you win the games you're supposed to win, you win three or four of those games, you're in the tournament. I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, so – this time of the year, everyone looks at quality wins and bad losses. Get quality wins, eliminate bad losses. Uh, I think that the committee will take into consideration the games that Kadari didn't play in. Uh, they, they've grown as a team, and they're a team. I, I, I said it a long while ago. Seton a team other people don't want to play against. They have a toughness you cannot measure, and that comes from the top with their head coach. Meanwhile, St. John's has a team that's just in a spiral mode coach and they have their hall of fame coach questioning everything from their toughness to their effort. Um, it's a team in a tailspin. What is going on in Queens? Yeah. I mean, it's a little disappointing. I mean, I think the biggest thing that's going on in, in Queens is that look, Rick Patino, someone we always, you know, guys in the grow up in the Northeast that were younger than him looked up to him. He's a hall of fame coach. He's one of the greatest teachers in the history of the game. And you think about individual workouts and player development, uh, you think about style of play and innovation. Having said that, uh, what has gone on the last two or three weeks since they've been losing is deflecting, deflecting, deflecting. And uh, this past week was disappointing. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. Uh, this weekend, uh, one, don't talk about the facilities because you knew what the facilities were when you took the job. And you have the greatest facility of all, and that's Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena. Damn. You can't talk about the NIL because, you know, you knew again, NIL is just part of the job and they have good NIL from what I hear. You talk about recruiting and, and lack of athleticism. You know, uh, you went out and recruited these guys. Jordan Dingle had other places to go. Chris Ludlam was at Tennessee. He ended up transferring, changing and transferring to your place. Uh, you know, the, uh, Jenkins was, you coached him. You knew exactly what you were getting. Uh, 
you know, you brought these guys in, uh, you were excited about them. Uh, now that they're not playing well, you, you know, it's your job not to basically talk about their, their, their weaknesses, but basically try to figure out a system that give them a chance to win. I don't think you, you solve. And I, again, I have so much respect for Rick, but you don't solve any problems by building in excuses because they're your players, they're your team. And, you know, pointing the figure there, you know, you point one finger at someone else and four others point back at you. So I was a little disappointed, to be honest with you, in Coach Patino because of the pedestal that I put him on. I, I agree. I, he's somebody that that I have said, hey, for years, I went to his basketball camp when I was 16 years old. And I always said, if I was good enough to play or my son was good enough to play, I would want him to play for Coach Patino. And he took a little little notch down in, in in my book. And do you think he regrets some of those decisions and might come back and, and retract some of them? Rick's not one to retract anything. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it is. Uh, you know, it's good. You know, now he's going to go back into the portal this year. And, you know, what is he going to say to those guys? Because those guys surely have heard that what he said about the last group of guys in the portal. Look, St. John's, the job is the job. Uh, you know, it's, you know, it's not Kentucky. It's not UCLA. Uh, you take it for, for at face value. Yeah. The practice facility is not good, but you know, you're in New York city, you're close to players. It's your job to evaluate. Once you decide that players in your program and you decided this group of players as opposed to that group of players, you, I don't think you can ever, you know, coaches take losses, players get wins. That's what I was taught a long time ago. Uh, amen to that. So, why hasn't it worked in your mind? Well, they're young. I mean, like, why hasn't it worked? Because you can't just flip a switch and, and make it happen overnight. And even in the portal, you can't make it happen overnight. Uh, they can't shoot the ball and they can't defend. That's a bad combination. Uh, two things that he's been trying to get that team to do all year long, and they can't seem to do it. Uh, meanwhile, Coach, let's flip the switch and, and talk about the best team in the country. I think they clearly have separated themselves from the rest of the pack, especially with Purdue losing to Ohio State. How bad was that? UConn, 14 straight wins. That ties a Big East record shared by the 85 St. John's team and the 96 UConn team. And they just delivered uh, a beatdown of Marquette to a pulp, with beating them by 28 points. And Marquette's damn good. Um, what did you think of their performance? First of all, I would put in perspective, I'm not losing my mind over Purdue losing a game on the road. All right, I mean, it's one game, and I mean, if you look at the number of games Purdue has won over the last four years, I mean, they're probably the winningest program in college basketball, one of the top five winningest programs. So yeah, they lost the game. They lost the game to a Ohio State team that played really well. Bruce Thornton was good. Zach Eady uh, didn't have his best game. Uh, they were physical against them. So be it. Having said that, UConn has been dominant, uh, and they've been dominant, and they're still going to get better because they're just scratching the surface. Because you missed Castle early, you missed Caravan for a game, you missed Klingon for a good long period of time. Klingon's back. You can see him starting to get his legs. He's running the floor. He's more active defensively. He's finishing around the basket. Um, there's an enthusiasm about what they're doing because they have these all these pieces available to them. But when those guys weren't there, Samson Johnson developed. Solo played well early. You see the Stewart kids starting to come along. You see Sandiara making plays. Yeah. They're growing, they're improving, they're buying in. Uh, they've got an amazing culture. Uh, and, you know, they had the perfect transfer, quite honestly, in, in Cam Spencer. So, uh, you know, Barry's team, I, I'm up there a lot. Uh, they practice the way they play. 
uh, every single day they practice with a great enthusiasm, a sense of urgency, a standard, a work ethic, an attitude. They allow themselves to be coached. Uh, they're, they're probably the most complete team in terms of offense and defense uh, that balances each other. They've got a good eight-man rotation right now. Maybe can go a little bit deeper. Uh, they're a special team. Now they got a tough game coming up on, uh, on Tuesday against at Creighton. That'll be a scene. And then they come home and they play Villanova. We're going to be there for college game day. Uh, we're excited about being there. That was the side of the first college game day. So I think that's going to be a blast uh, to be there. We're not going to be there for the game, but we're going to be there for the pregame. And uh, what Danny's been able to do is incredible. He is a great coach. Uh, never has a bad practice. His players buy into him. His players get better. Uh, they don't play like everyone else. There's really good ball and people movement. They're not just living and dying with ball screens. They make you guard both sides. Uh, and with Klingon, their defense is really something else. He, he, guy like that makes up for everyone else, right? Who, who even if your guy blows by, you know uh, he's there to alter shots. We we saw it against against Creighton. We've seen it against many teams this year. So let's talk about that schedule, Coach. Um, we're going to know a little bit more about UConn. Right, because they're trying to make history. No team in the Big East since they've gone to 20 games has has won more than 17. Last year, Marquette went 17 and three. They have a chance. They could go 18 and two, dare I say 19 and one, but they're gonna have to earn it, right? They still have to go to Creighton. They still have to go to Marquette. Um, still have to go to Providence. So some tricky games coming up. And they got and they got Seton Hall at home. Bingo. And Seton Hall is a has played them fairly well. So look, uh, here's the deal. You, you got to play what you got to play well to win. You know, they got a good schedule. Providence is tough, no, tough, hard nosed team. Uh, you know, Carter is a terrific defender. Terrific. Odor has been phenomenal for him. Uh, Creighton's they're start four to five when Ashworth's making shots with Alexander and Shireman and, and, uh, uh, Cockburner, I mean, that's four really good players. They haven't gotten much out of the five spot. They're a little bit like Kansas. They ha have not found that fifth guy, although Furphy for Kansas now has stepped up. So, I mean, they've got a tougher ahead of them, but they, they're worried about Creighton right now. That's that's their focus. And they're worried about as a team to get better so that they're at their very best, you know, come the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know how much of a weakness they have right now. They're, they're so deep. I I've asked this question of other people. I know it's hypothetical. If this year's team played last year's UConn team right now at the XL Center, who wins? Yeah, I, I I couldn't tell you. I mean, I think last year's team actually had a little bit more pop to them athletically. I think that, you know, Andre Jackson, they don't have anyone like Andre Jackson. They just don't. He, you know, Castle is a little bit more skilled, but he doesn't have the energy and, and the explosiveness of Andre. They're probably similar in the front court. I mean, Adama now. Had Klingon, Klingon's got Samson. It's pretty similar. Uh, Cam is a big time knockdown shooter. Yeah, uh, probably not as wiry as as Jordan, but uh, you know Jordan's playing well right now in, in the NBA. I mean, uh, Tristan is Tristan. He's doing well. I think Hassan's improvement has been a huge plus for this team. Uh, you know, he's doing what basically Nahim Aline did. So uh, I would say it would be uh it would be a fun exercise. Yeah, it would. I think you hit it. I think last year's team a little more athletic. This year's team a little deeper. Uh, coach, one more question about UConn and, and you know game day, and then I want to get to FDU before I let you go. 
Um, how excited are you to go to uh, UConn? And it's big. It is big. Let's face it, that, that you know, ESPN is going to uh, a Big East school and picking UConn, who right now is at the center of uh, the college basketball universe. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, I think it's great. You know, people always say, well, you know, because you don't have Big East schools, you don't cover the Big East schools. Yeah, we do. We do cover the Big East schools. When the Big East teams are playing well, when Marquette's playing well, when Conn's playing well, when, you know, uh, when teams have big games and, you know, Marquette's playing well, I mean, we cover them. There's no doubt about it. And uh, the schedule just worked out. They had a home game. And uh, I think our people made a great decision. You know, I challenged the, the UConn fans, the basketball capital of the world, real simple. All right. Kentucky sold out Rep Arena, 22,000 people. I challenge you to sell out Gamble Pavilion for our show. 10 o'clock starts. Meet you there at 9 15, 9 o'clock, ready to go, fired up, two hours talking ball, got all kinds of great stuff going on. Uh, a lot of fun stuff, a lot of stuff that centers around UConn, a lot of stuff that centers around UConn in terms of in relation to the rest of the country. But, uh, my challenge, it goes out to the Husky Nation. All right, let's go now. We're coming. Are you coming? Can you pack hey. that place? Can you sell out Gamble Pavilion? Because it, it's a free ticket for college game day. I'm going to be surprised if they don't. I'm betting on UConn. Coach, last thing, Fairleigh Dickinson, your alma mater, has won two games in a row, third place in the Northeast Conference under Jack Castleberry. And in the playoffs? They couldn't get out of the own their own elevator. They it wasn't their own elevator. elevator. It was the elevator at LIU. Right. You know, elevators at LIU got to take. Obviously, we got some big physical dudes at Harvard on the hack check. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, a little question why we had 13 guys in one elevator, but uh thank goodness for the fire department in New York. Every, no one was hurt and they were able to play the game and uh fairly won the game, and that, that's a great thing. But I, you know. Talking to Jack after uh, after the game, he said those guys were sweating bullets when they got out of the elevator. So uh, crazy scene. Thank goodness, uh, you know, once again, you know, the people that run towards the problem, not away from the problem, whether it's police or whether it's uh, or whether it's the fire department, those people are true heroes, and we don't spend enough time saying thank you. So on behalf of all the former players of Fairleigh Dickinson, uh, I'm sure the current players, uh, I can't thank the, you know, the, the New York Police Department, uh, Fire Department and Rescue Squad for helping those guys get out. Uh, and uh, it was uh, a crazy way to get to a game. But uh, the end of the game worked out well. And uh, again, thank you to you know the New York City law enforcement and Fire Department for, for getting the guys out safely. And, and thank goodness nothing bad happened. FDNY on the scene in 10 minutes. They had them out in 17 minutes and, and the game started with a little delay and they are the true heroes. Coach, I know you have a busy schedule. Appreciate the time coming on the podcast. Always good to talk to you and thanks for the insight and have a great day at College Game Day at UConn on Saturday. Thank you. Well, have a blast. Keep spreading the word, Big Barbara. You're doing a good job. Let's go. All right, Coach. Be good. Thanks, pal. Seth Greenberg, one of the very best in the business at ESPN, challenging UConn Husky fans to show up Saturday morning, February 24th, hours before UConn hosts Villanova. My money is on the UConn Husky fans. Right now, all bets are off for St. John's. My, oh my, I want to talk about them because... 
you heard coach. He has a lot of respect for Rick Pitino, as do I. But credit Seth Greenberg. He was not afraid to say that what Patino did in that press conference was wrong, right? When you win, the players get credit. When you lose, you take the blame. That's the way he was brought up. So good for him. A lot of times you hear coaches, you know, stick up for their coaches and they won't say anything negative. Uh, they, how dare they say something against, you know, somebody that is their friend. My, we can't say anything bad. I'm just going to tiptoe around that question. No, Seth Greenberg didn't dance around it. He said it like it was. And let's face it, Patino deserves to take the heat. This is a guy who, when he came in, pushed everybody out of town, right? He came to this opening press conference at St. John's and said a lot of these players probably won't be back on this team because they're probably not a good fit for me. He brought back one significant player, Joel Soriano. He brought back the Big East first team center from St. John's. Everybody else, A.J. Store, Hosh Alexander, Omar Stanley, Rafael Pinzon, David Jones, they're all gone. Did Patino kick them out? Was it their choice? Whatever it was, he didn't or couldn't bring them back. And they're all doing very well in their new places, aren't they? All right? So he's the guy, ultimately, that lost everybody and brought in all of these new faces. And when he did, he was trumpeting his style. He was trumpeting what he does, right? He didn't have anything negative to say about those players. I brought in the guys that want to be here. I brought in 11 athletic players. And now when the going gets tough, Rick Patino is pointing fingers, not at himself, at the players. 21, 22, 23, 24 year old guys who haven't been around as long as a 71-year-old Hall of Fame coach. He should know better. Shame on him. They can't win, and he's coming up with excuses. Now, where have I heard that before? Hmm. Oh, Kevin Willard? Now we know where Kevin Willard gets it from. He gets it from the master. The master of excuses. I don't care how many how many uh, rings he has. What he did was wrong. These kids deserve better. They came here to St. John's to play for a Hall of Fame coach and learn under a Hall of Fame coach. And what does he do? He says, they're not tough enough. They don't give 100% effort. They can't move laterally. They're too slow. We recruited the wrong type of players. They're the antithesis of how I coach. He blamed his assistants. He blamed the shitty facilities. Man, it was what, eight months ago? He's talking about player development and how, you know, 
Donovan Mitchell came to me at Louisville and he didn't have a jump shot. Now look at him in the NBA. Well, let me ask you something, coach. Where is your player development at St. John's? Joel Soriano, first team all Big East last year, had a monster year. Comes back, first team preseason all Big East this year. And he's benched. His numbers are down. His confidence is shot. He's regressed. You're questioning his effort. That's your guy. That's the guy you kept. Jordan Dingle, Ivy League Player of the Year, second leading scorer in the country at Penn, has regressed. He doesn't even average 10 points a game in the Big East. And don't tell me it's a step down. Yeah, it's not that big of a step down. There have been plenty of players who have who've come from the Ivy League and done very well in their graduate years, all right? Chris Ledlam, first team all Ivy League, Harvard's best player. He plucks the best player from Penn, the best player from Harvard. Chris Ledlam, two points and five fouls versus Seton Hall. Your power forward regressed. Glenn Taylor Jr. averaged 11 and a half points at Oregon State, Pac-12, all right? You're not talking about uh, a guy who's come up from the MAC. Pac-12, good conference, major conference. Averages four points a game this year. Regressed. All of these players, except one, Danis Jenkins, has regressed. Even your star recruit, Simeon Wilcher, doesn't even see the floor. The highest St. John's recruit in a decade Top 30 player doesn't even see the floor. You think he's going to stick around next year? Really? If you didn't hear Rick Patino's press conference after this game, I'm going to play some sound for you right now. Here's some of the presser and some of his comments right after the game. Well, lateral quickness and our toughness is just something I've never witnessed in all my years of coaching. Um, we are so non-athletic that we can't guard anybody without fouling. It's been that way the year, but we came out in the second half and we knew they would come after us, but you have to move the ball. And we just took four minutes of rushed shots. Rushed shots. Whose job is it to change that? Yes. When you're up 19 and it's going well and you're turning the team over and the crowd's behind you, and everything's going your way, you're going to take some bad shots, right? The other team is going to go on a run. Uh, you're probably going to not play defense as well as you can. Somebody's going to take a shot they shouldn't have taken because they get overconfident. But then it's your job to take timeouts. It's your job to talk to them during the, during the media timeouts. Settle them down. Design a play. Get the ball to your big man who had 11 points in the first eight minutes of this game. Did you forget about him? Get him the ball in position to succeed. Joel Soriano took two shots the rest of the way. 11 points in eight minutes, two points over the next 32 minutes. Is it because he wasn't giving 100% effort? Or because your players and you and your coaching style didn't get him the ball in position to succeed. I don't know. 
how much of this loss falls on Patino. Here's also what he said after the game, another soundbite talking about this being the most unenjoyable experience of his career. Had no choice. We just could take who we could get, who was available. We had no choice. Um, I don't think we were going to win the first year anyway, because when you rush like that and you don't see the players and you just, uh, not not a whole lot we can do, but it's, um, I think I've enjoyed, even, even the Celtics when we lost, I've enjoyed every minute being a Boston Celtic coach. Didn't like the fact that we lost in that following year, but this has been the most unenjoyable experience I've had since I've been coaching. So this is the most unenjoyable experience. Your first year at St. John's. More unenjoyable than when you were run out of Louisville after the FBI probe revealed that there were recruiting violations, bribery charges. Sure, you were exonerated, but then you publicly humiliated yourself, cheating on your wife. More unenjoyable than that? Fired from Louisville with cause? Exiled to Greece because no one else would give you a job? You're telling me that was more enjoyable? than this at St. John's? How about when Patino coached the Celtics, the most legendary team in the NBA, along with the Lakers, and couldn't win in four seasons, four straight losing seasons in Boston before he was fired? That was enjoyable? I don't get it. I know sometimes coaches, you know, come into a game, a press conference, after a loss, it's emotional. They talk to their team. They have to gather their thoughts. And then after they talk to the team in the locker room, they have to come out and answer tough questions. But this isn't his first year of coaching. He's been at this for, I don't know, 45, 48 years. I think he knows what he's doing and how to handle himself in a press conference. He's very calculated. He knew what he was saying. He knows what he's been talking about all year. Unenjoy the most unenjoyable experience. I really find that hard to believe. Then the finger pointing continued with questions from Patino about his team's toughness. Coach, you could see that Dan Jenkins was physically upset after the game. You could see that he was just frustrated. You've I kind of been beating the same dead horse on, you know, your team needs to work on the defense. And I know DJ spoke about it as well. Do you think that just some of the guys on the team are just not clicking with that message yet? And that no, I think they're unathletic. I don't think they move well laterally. I don't think they're going to pick it up in the next week. Um, I think they're slow laterally. I mean, Sean Conway gives you everything he can. He's slow laterally. About five guys are slow laterally. Um, so DJ's not. DJ's been the saving grace on a very difficult experience. It's, it's, it's difficult. It's really, really difficult that if you can't move your feet and guard people laterally without fouling, you're not going to win a whole lot of games. Rick, we know that you feel like Jenkins is, you know, the epitome of toughness. Yeah. Are the other guys on the team not as tough as you thought they were going to be? I, I couldn't evaluate their toughness, to be honest with you. I couldn't. 
I didn't have enough time to evaluate their toughness. You know, some, you never know. I mean, the one thing I will learn, obviously, is um, this is just altogether different environment. You know, you can build toughness. You know, Siva and, and when I was at Louisville, Siva and Smith didn't play as freshmen. You built their toughness. All those guys, you built their toughness. And we evolved into a tough team. This is um, different times where you're changing your team almost almost every year. This time around, we'll have a, a lot more time. I know the kid from Greece that we recruited is tough. Um, so, um, look, I'm disappointed. I don't want to say the wrong things. But I'm really disappointed in my team. Not once did Patino say, I'm really disappointed in my coaching. I should have done this. I should have done that. This loss is on me. You have not heard or read those words from Patino. What a shame. How, just like Seth Greenberg said, how is a recruit going to look at this, hear what he said and said, yeah, I want to play for that guy next year because guess what? The roster's turning over. So don't give me this. Oh, well, well, Patino, you know, in year two at Providence, they went to the final four and in year two at Kentucky, they did this and year two at Louisville, they did that. Those were different times. This is 2024 where you have to recruit and re-recruit the own, their own guys on your roster while you're recruiting the portal, while you're getting ready for an NCAA tournament game or a Final Four, ask Dan Hurley how it's done. Well, Rick Pitino's going to have all the time in the world this offseason to recruit and reshape his roster and re-recruit the guys on his roster because a lot of those guys are like, I ain't staying around here for this. I am out of here. And he's losing one fifth-year guy after another, Soriano, Dingle, Ledlam, Taylor, Conway, all seniors, all right? Eligibility, gone. So you're going to have to come in next year and reshape the entire roster again, all right? Six, seven, eight guys at least to bring in next year. How are you going to reshape your roster and start all over again in this NIL era and try to teach them to play defense, try to teach them to have toughness, try to teach them to read a scouting report, try to teach them to have 100% effort when you're a year older and maybe a year more tired, all right? The window's closing, the opportunities aren't there. Barring a miracle run to winning the rest of their games and getting to the minimum, the Big East championship game, a magical run, which seems impossible at this point, this team will not make the NCAA tournament. It will go down as one of the worst seasons recently, certainly in the last 20 years, minimum, in St. John's history. All right? Worse than anything under Chris Mullen, worse than anything under Mike Anderson, expectations last year were top 25 NCAA tournament. NCAA tournament, just make the tournament. That is not looking like it's going to happen. Now, how does Rick Pitino regroup? How does he reshape the roster for next year? I know he said, oh, I'm getting ready for Georgetown, but 
in the back of his mind, he's trying to figure out, how are these guys going to listen to me? You've thrown them all under the bus. They can't move laterally. They're not quick enough. They don't give effort. How are you supposed to motivate them and practice and get them ready for a game? You have to keep trying to win games and you've thrown your players under the bus. Not my, not what I do, that's for sure. And now Rick Pitino has to find a way to just beat Georgetown. Better not lose to Georgetown, that's all I can say. All right, a lot that we covered here in the Big East. I don't want to forget about Rutgers because Rutgers lost an opportunity on the road at Minnesota. They had won four games in a row. They had all the momentum in the world. And it just so happened they were going into a place where they really struggled to win. Minnesota's very good at home. And Minnesota had their number. They also had a player in Pharrell Payne who delivered the pain with a career-high 21 points and 11 rebounds in the game. Cliff Amore did what he could. Derek Simpson did what he could. Uh, the magic carpet ride of Jeremiah Williams kind of fluttered, okay? Lost a little bit of its steam. That's what happens, as I've said before, when you've played four games and opposing coaches have film on you. We talked about that before in the last podcast. And I'm just saying, after a while, you got to find a way because now teams have seen you. They know your tendencies. What are you going to do to combat that? He had his toughest game yet in a Rutgers uniform, two for 10, nine points. But you saw what Jeremiah Williams does for this team because he still had five rebounds. He still had four assists. He still made plays. The story of this game was pain. Minnesota's three-point shooting ability. They hit 50% of their threes. And also the fact that they shot 51% in the game. This was not a Steve Peichel type of defensive effort. They had been holding teams to 60 points or less in these four wins. And Minnesota erupts for 81. That's how they lost this game. They lost it on the defensive end. They couldn't and just didn't have any answers for what Minnesota did. And that is life on the road in a major conference like the Big Ten. When you're going up against a team who's on the bubble and desperate for a win, gave Purdue everything they had on the road and fell short, coming back home to their building, you saw what a tough Minnesota team and a hungry Minnesota team and a hot Minnesota team could do. When Rutgers gives up 80 points or more, they've only won once. They're one in three. That was the overtime win against Nebraska. Otherwise, they have to hold teams below the threshold in the 60s to win a game. And now they're going up against the Purdue team that lost for the first time in weeks at Ohio State, coming back into their building. I've said this for the last couple of podcasts. Don't talk about the NCAA tournament. Rutgers is not on the bubble. Just try to win one game after the next. If they beat Purdue and shock the college basketball world and win in West Lafayette, where they've won before, 
with a different team, mind you, with veteran guys, mind you, with senior leaders, mind you, if they shock the world, let's not talk about NCAA tournament. Let's just talk about the next opponent in Maryland, okay? Win the next game, see what happens from there. That's Rutgers' goal. And play better defense. They're going to need it in that building against that team. All right, that'll do it for the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. I really appreciate you listening. And I also want to say thanks to our sponsor, North Jersey Vipers Softball Club. Check them out at NorthJerseyVipers.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for sharing the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Until next time, enjoy the games, everyone. So long.